today and, and uh, writing some things down throughout the week. As I was writing these scriptures down and reading through them, uh, some of them you'll be very familiar with, specifically the first one. But as I was writing them down and I was perusing through them, I thought, man, this, this message that I have in my heart really seems like a disconnect from the resurrection message. And yet it isn't. And I want to help you understand why. So when you think, when I'm speaking at first, that there's a little bit of a disconnect or the second scriptures that I will read, it seems like there's a disconnect. You track with me because I want you to hear clearly what Holy Spirit wants to show us today. I want you to hear it. Now, I know that there's probably people under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or watching online, I'm certain that there's probably people that are listening to me today, that you're listening to me because someone maybe made you come, invited you, or because in, in your world it's the right thing to do to go to church on Easter, Easter and Mother's Day is going to be the most uh, packed out groups of people that go to church on those two particular days. So whatever your reason for being here, maybe you're coming today because you're thinking, I want to make a new start. There's no better day than now, no better time than the present for me to make a new start. Maybe you came because you thought, well, maybe this preacher, maybe this guy or this person, whoever it is that stands behind that pulpit today, can help me understand some things that I never understood. Or maybe you've been here a long time and you're here on Easter today. And you're expecting me to say something that is, um, that you can, you just expected a certain presentation from me because you've been here at the rock for so long and you expected that I was going to lay the hammer on the Easter bunny. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've always said is I can't wait to bite the head off of a chocolate bunny. And, um, and I've already done that. But, uh. But I want you to know this, that what, no matter how or why you're here today, my hope is this, that in being here, no matter what the reason is that you came in the door, that at some point between now and the time we conclude today, that that reason falls on this line, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that no one else could set you free like He can. So my prayer is, that for whatever reason you are here, whether you are drug in, you ran in, or you screamed getting here. However it is that you might be watching this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you fall on this line. Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God and there is no other. He died and He rose again and He didn't need help. Nobody needed to help him. All he needed to do was say, Father, if this is what you're asking me, I'm going to do it. Because there is a people who need you, and if they can know you, Daddy, like I know you, they'll never look back. I'm convinced of this. You know, I'm not Baptist. I'm not Pentecostal. I'm not Methodist or Nazarene or whatever denomination you might want to call it. I'm none of those things. But I am a believer in this. And I think... For the most part, the Baptist denomination believes this pretty wholeheartedly. They believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. There's more to it than that. But if there's anything that they believe that I would, I would hook my cart to, it's that. I believe that when a person really does know Christ, when they truly come into relationship with Him, there's no turning back. I believe that when a person, there are people who get acquainted with Him. He knocks on the door, 
They answer the door. They sit down, have a cup of tea. They chat, get to know each other a little bit, but there's no relationship. I believe those kind of people can ask him to also walk out the same door he came in. But I don't believe that there's anybody that when he knocks on the door and you let him come into your house, and not only does he sit at your table and have a glass of tea or a cup of tea, but you invite him in and you begin to take him around and you begin to allow him to see everything that's in your life. And you expose him to all the rooms, all the corners, all the closets that are there. And you say, whatever you see here, I'm asking that you will change it. If there's anything that is contrary to who you are, I invite you to rule and to reign in me. I invite you to not just be my acquaintance, but to be my Lord. And I believe when a person comes to that place, when he is given the opportunity to literally rule and reign in their life, their passion, they cannot quelch. Their faith, they cannot subdue. But I believe when a person genuinely and truly accepts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died and He rose again, a person who genuinely believes that, I do not believe they can set Him aside ever again. Once He has become genuinely real to a man or a woman, there's no turning back. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it with all of my heart. If, let me just leave it there. So today I want to talk about this topic, good counsel. Everybody say good counsel. counsel. How important is good counsel? You can follow along in the app this morning if you want to. If you haven't downloaded the app, I encourage you to download the Rock of Central Florida app on the app store and click on take note. You can follow right along with me and you can refer to this later if you want to dive in a little bit deeper or you missed something I said, but take notes as we move along. So good counsel, good counsel. How important is good counsel? Let me back up. Let me say it this way. Has anyone in here with a show of hands ever received bad counsel? Let me see your hands. Bad counsel. Most everybody in this room has received bad counsel. Now let me ask it a little different. How many of you have received bad counsel from someone you thought was going to give you good counsel? Raise your hand. You had confidence in that counsel. Now let me ask it a little different. How many of you have ever received counsel from someone you wanted no counsel from at all? We probably pretty much all know someone like that. There's always somebody in your ear. <laughs> My wife receives counsel from me all the time. She's not asking for <laughs> Babe, let me help you with this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it is true that we've all encountered, we're, we've all been counseled, whether it's from someone that we wanted to receive it from, we didn't want to receive it from, or maybe we didn't even know. I mean, there's been times something's been, I mean, <sighs> I don't want to get into specifics, but there's been times in my life when I might be going through something. And I, I have this one particular moment in my mind, but I don't want to share it. But I might be going through something. Well, because of the relationships that I have with people, whether in the, in the house, in the rock, or out of the rock, because of relationships that I have with people, this one particular season that we were going through, I received, uh, uh, someone reached out to me and just said, listen, I want to work with you in that, and I can tell you, here's, here's about the half a dozen scripture, if you'll read this scripture and you'll do this, and you can, what they did was they misinterpreted the season that I was in. Their intentions were good. Everybody say that with me. Their intentions, Their intentions were, good. were good. 
Even counsel you didn't ask for doesn't mean their intentions are bad. It might be. I don't know. That's, between, that's for you to decide. But most people giving counsel, most of the time, their intentions aren't bad, but their intentions, if they are coming to give rather than being sent to bring, will determine what kind of counsel it is. We'll get into that in just a moment. So this person was giving me all these scriptures and sharing all these things. And, and, you know, I said to my wife, I said, what they don't realize is they're addressing something that is non-existent. They've interpreted what they think is going on. And that's not it at all. So then it left, leaves you, in a, and we've all been there, but it leaves you, we've been there numerous times, not just with one situation. And, and thankfully, I can tell you that this situation did not occur with anybody that's in this room right now, but you might be watching. And then you're left with this decision that you have to now come back and you have to somehow correct that. Because I don't want anybody... Listen, if you feel like I'm going through a situation or somebody else, you feel like they're going through a situation, they're going through something, something and they need your counsel, and yet they don't because you've misinterpreted their situation, you know what? We need to be honest. And we need to go to that person and say, you know what? You don't need to pray for this situation because it's, I'd rather you pray for something that's valid than pray for this. I'm getting somewhere with all this. Just track with me. So good counsel is very important. And when I say good counsel, I'm not just talking about counsel that we're like, ah, oh, I like that. I'm talking about counsel that was sent. Not just counsel that attached itself to you. You need to hear me. Counsel that is sent is very different than counsel that is simply attached to us. Let's, let's take a little journey here. So let me start by saying this, and I want you to say it with me. It matters, say this with me, it matters, it matters. The, company the company we keep. We keep. Now look around you and see what kind of company you're keeping. <laughs> Say it again. Say, it matters. It matters. The company we keep. <laughs> the company we keep will determine the counsel that we receive. The company we keep will determine the counsel that we receive. Now, let's take a little leap right here. and Let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin with verse 12. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed... What? So what counsel would you give me about that? <laughs> now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... Man, I didn't know, James, that we could just throw in a little curveball and just really... All right, let's get back into 1 Corinthians. Let's get into This is important. Settle down. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, 
Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have simply died. There is no better yet to come. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I want to go back to verse 17. It says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Last week I touched on something that I've taught many, many times in this ministry, in this house. And I share it again today and I use verse 17 to justify. It's one of many scriptures that I could use to justify, but I'm using this today. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And I asked last week at the, begin, at the end of service when I asked if there was anyone who wanted to receive Christ and, and no one lifted their hand at that moment, well, except for one person. And then I said, so if everyone in here with the exception of one person has received Christ and you've been set free from your sins, let me ask this question. How many people in this room today believe that you are a sinner? And their hands went up everywhere. They raised their hand, believing that they're still a sinner. And I said, so then this would be true. If you are still a sinner, then you've not yet received Christ. So if you're still a sinner and have not yet received Christ, there is need for salvation in your life. There is need to receive Him so that He can set you free from the sin that you are laying claim to. And I understand that in most churches today, many churches, it's getting better, but in many churches today, there's this theology, this preaching, that we're all sinners. But the problem with that teaching is that they don't tell the rest of the story. They stop short of finishing the story. And the rest of the story is we were all sinners. At one time, all of us lived a life of sin. But then Jesus. Then Jesus came. And set us free from sin. If Jesus died on the cross to set you and me free from sin, and yet we still lay claim to sin, I'm a sinner. Then are you really free? If He died to redeem you and me from sin, and you still accept that you are a sinner, have you been redeemed? Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, let me read it a little different. If Christ has not been raised, if He's not been raised, you'll always be in your sins. But when He is raised, your faith is fruitful and you are free from sin. You need to hear what I'm telling you this morning. In order for you and me to fully lay hold of the purpose of this day, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
In order for us to fully lay hold of what this day represents, we must lay hold of this truth also. That if Jesus Christ was sent by God to be the propitiation of sins for you and me, if He was sent by God to suffer, to die, to raise, be raised again so that we could be free from sin, my question to you would be, did He do that? Is this the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then this is also the day that we celebrate the liberation of sin. Our liberty out of sin. I think it's easy for the world, whether they are most of the world or whatever percentage might be that believes in God, those who are gathered in churches today for sure, Priscilla, whoever they might be, I think it's easy for people to believe that, you know what, Jesus is the Son of God, I don't have a problem with that. Whether I go to church, whether I'm faithful to God, whether I'm not, I don't have a problem believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and yet they have a problem believing that they can be free from sin. Today, there is no question when churches are gathering all around the world whether or not Jesus Christ is the Son of God or whether or not He rose from the dead. There's no question there. The power of the resurrection is just as real today as it was a little over 2,000 years ago. So the question isn't about the resurrection today. The question is about whether or not you have received the power of the resurrection to set you free from sin. So how is it that people can arrive at the conclusion that there is no Christ and therefore no resurrection? How is it that Paul found himself in a situation having to explain to the Corinthian church, a young church albeit, but how is it that Paul found himself having to try to explain to them and help guide them through some moments of confusion in their life because some of them were saying it's impossible that he could be raised from the dead. We don't even believe that. And yet they believed that somehow they might be saved. And Paul's bringing clarity, clarity to that. But there's clearly confusion among the early young Corinthian church. So how is it that people can arrive at the conclusion, in this case, that there is no Christ and no resurrection? And the answer is simple. By listening to the wrong people. By listening to the wrong people. Now, let me justify that statement. There's probably people, whether you're in this room, maybe you're not, or you're watching online, maybe you are. But there's people that are listening to me right now, and to validate this point, by listening to the wrong people, there are people that believe, even after receiving Christ, you are still a sinner because you've listened to the wrong people. You've listened to people tell you for so long that even when receiving Christ, you're still a sinner. In other words, saying it clouded, what they're really saying is, you really never received Christ. His work really never took place in your life. I said the sinner's prayer with you, but it really didn't do a complete work. It did half of it. It made you feel like you're part of the family, but you're still separated from God because sin separates you from God. Anybody hearing me this morning? So how do we get there? We get there, and, and you might be even now in this room, you might be saying or thinking to yourself, man, I'm really having a hard time with what this preacher's saying, but you're having a hard time with what this preacher's saying because you've listened to the wrong message for too long. You've listened to people tell you what you are when you aren't for so long. 
In fact, there might be people under the sound of my voice would, be, would have a very hard time to stand up this morning and say, I'm not a sinner. If I asked everybody in this room, if you're comfortable doing this this morning, if you've received Jesus Christ and you're comfortable standing up and saying, I'm not a sinner, there's probably people in, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but there's probably people in this room that could not do it because you would feel like somehow you were betraying God. Because by being a sinner, you feel like you're more valuable to Him. Or to say that you're not a sinner, you feel like in some way you're making yourself equal with Him. But He sent His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He redeemed to redeem you from sin. So how do, you, do people come to the conclusion there's no Christ and no resurrection in this gathering of the early church? Because they've been listening to the wrong people. They've let this one get in their ear. They've let this one get in their ear. We're going to get there. So everybody say this with me. Say, worthless fellows are worthless. That is profound, right? Let's say it again. Worthless fellows are worthless. What does that mean? Worth is a derivative of the word worthy. So if you're worth something, that means you're worthy of something. If you're worthless, that means you are not worthy of anything. You have not positioned yourself to receive, uh, to be worthy of whatever it might be. So worthless fellows are worthless. I need you to get that in your mind as well. Say it again. Say worthless fellows are worthless. All right, now we're going to read in Judges chapter 11. This is fantastic, and you're going to love what I'm about to share with you because some of you today are going to be set free because some of you, believe it or not, you have surrounded yourself with worthless fellows. And suddenly it's quiet. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know who they are. And right now you might not know who they are. But in a few moments, you'll know who they are. You surround yourself with worthless fellows who have come to you, but they were not sent to you. So in Judges chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, it reads like this. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. And he was also the son of a prostitute, by the way. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, and they said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, because you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. Jephthah is a mighty warrior. The Ammonites are coming up against us. Let's go get the mighty warrior. <laughs> That's good. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, O mighty warrior that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah, Jephthah, that's a tough name to say, said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we've turned to you now. We're in distress. <laughs> that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites, O mighty warrior, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, 
If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me, I'll be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us if we do not do as you say. Come on home, mighty warrior. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. And I'm going to jump in between there. So what happens here, he goes to the Ammonites, and I'm just going to fill in between. We're going to jump into verse 29 in a second. But what happens right here at this point is Jephthah goes and he says, Hey, why are you guys fighting against us, the Israelites, the Hebrews? What's your problem? And, and he goes through, God gave us this land. He gave us that land. We went around you when it was necessary. We tried to avoid you. Then you attacked us. You attacked our forefathers, and then our forefathers wiped you out, and that's why we're in that land. So it's no longer your land. It's our land. It's God's land. So back off. So that's kind of where it went. That's a quick story. So verse 29 jumps into this place. says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Let me back up again. You don't have to go there, but just hear me out. Verse 3 said, Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around him, and they went out with him. And then again, verse 30 said, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah after the battle had been won. He did exactly as he said he would do. God gave him the victory. And when he arrived home, behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was excited. Dad! Dad, you did it. You are the victor. You led the people of God in a mighty battle. His daughter comes out to meet him with tambourines and dances, excited. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. She represented the future generation of Jephthah. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. Somehow it's her fault. And you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies and on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. Now, let me put your mind at ease. He did not kill her. She was not killed. But what he did do was worse than death. It was worse than death. He never allowed her to marry, secluded her off in her own place, and she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. 
He took away the ability for another generation to be born. He had thereafter no legacy. He had no grandchildren, no one to come after him to build upon the faith that he had demonstrated in going up against the Ammonites. Now how do we know that? I can tell you because human sacrifice was not God's plan and nor has it ever been. This is where good counsel matters. Every God of every other nation required human sacrifice, but not Yahweh. Not Yahweh. I know what you're thinking. Well, what about Abraham and Isaac? He provided what? Another. Worthless fellows mingle the seed of truth and lies. Worthless fellows mingle the seed of truth and lies. So prior to this time, let me give you a little history here because I want to lead up to something. Israel in the conquest of the different nations that they would take over, you know the stories, I'm not going to get into all the details of all of them, but in different conquests that they were sent to take this village, take this nation, take this people, destroy everything in it, wipe out, burn every false idol, everything that they've got, they, they have, destroy it. Israel was known for going into these places and somehow they would hide this idol over here or they would save this person over here and marry into this generation that shouldn't even be, exist anymore. Marry into this nation. And Israel found themselves, the Hebrews were finding themselves mixing the seed of their faith in God who had delivered them from Egypt. They found themselves mixing and mingling with their beliefs. Mingling with their ways until their ways became the Hebrews' ways. Until no longer could they sort out, is this our God or is this their God? And it went on and on for generation after generation until there was no clear understanding. The people of God didn't really know. What will He really do? And it's never so clear as it is right here with Jephthah in this story. Because what had happened is they had gotten so involved in these other nations and the way that they believe in, in offering uh, sacrifices to false gods and idols and allowed themselves to permit it or to be in the presence of it. And allowed the words of other nations to influence how they were going to worship and where they were going to worship. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They were making what was one time wrong. Suddenly it had become right. And what was right somehow was becoming wrong. Because in their mind and in their spirit, they were surrounded by worthless fellows. People who were telling them, this isn't what God would require. This is what God wants. When Jephthah was called out of the land of Tob. And when he was sent out of the, his home and he went to the land of Tob, verse 3 says that worthless fellows joined him. I believe this. When they had come to him and asked him to defeat the Ammonites and to come home because he was a mighty warrior. Had Jephthah not been surrounded and not received the counsel of worthless fellows, he would have never said to the father, if you will give me the victory, 
I will offer to you the first thing that comes out of my door when I return home. That isn't good counsel. That's counsel of worthless fellows. God didn't send those men to join with Jephthah. What they did is what people still do nowadays. They see a star and they try to hitch their wagon to it. The problem is if the star doesn't say to those trying to hitch their wagon to it, if you weren't sent to me, you cannot remain with me. And I'm telling you that in this room there are people who have wrapped themselves up in you believing that somehow they can be a voice of counsel. But they came to you because they see a way to perhaps take advantage of you. But if God didn't send people to you, and if God hasn't sent the counsel to you that you're receiving, if it didn't come from God, I'm telling you, if that counsel has any reflection of anything outside the nature of God, those people might have come, but they were not sent. God will never send counsel to you that will defy who He is. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? There's people in this room, people under the sound of my voice, people that will be listening to this recorded message. I'm telling you, today's Resurrection Sunday. I want to resurrect your understanding today. There's people sitting in this room today. You'll receive counsel from people who don't even know God. You'll go to them just because they have a degree or because they have a plaque on their wall or because they're paid more money and because in your mind, you feel like they have the right word. And all the while, what the Father's trying to do is simply send you your mama to tell you the truth. Or your daddy. Or your family. Or your pastor. Your minister. You need to hear what I'm telling you this morning. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. says, Do not be deceived. Bad company. Ruins good morals. Now, if you're sitting here today, and you are, thank you. If it seems as though I'm bringing a word to draw lines between you and the company you keep, if it seems as though I'm preaching a word that will make you awaken to the congregation you gather with, then you are very perceptive. Because I am doing exactly that. You surround yourself with counsel that is outside of one whom God has sent. And I promise you that counsel will cause you to kill the first thing that meets you at the door when you return home. That counsel will cause you to offer up things that God would never ask for. Jephthah loved God enough where all Jephthah had to do was say, Father, I trust you for the victory over the Ammonites. God never asked for his daughter. God never asked for that next generation. God never asked him, nor did God ever require of him or anyone else to give up an entire generation. God is a heritage builder, not a heritage destroyer.
But if we let those around us whisper and we find ourselves gathered with the wrong company, it's interesting what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company corrupts good morals. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't follow that up with good morals corrects bad company? It's interesting. He said, let me make something clear. Do you know who you're hanging with? Oh, but you don't know, God. These people matter to me. These people are really important to me. I want to make something clear today. I think some people need to draw some lines in the sand in this house. Some people need to draw some lines in the sand. And you don't draw lines just because you're mad at somebody. Good Lord. Half of you would have drawn lines between me and you. This morning. You draw lines because God didn't send them to you. You draw lines because He's setting you apart. You draw lines because you say, Father, I want to know what your counsel is from wherever it's coming. I don't want counsel from the people that just because they think I'm doing something... You know, here's the story. When someone wins the lottery, suddenly their family just got bigger. I don't know that for sure because I've never won the lottery because I've never played the lottery. But I know from stories. You become successful. Suddenly, your circle of friends becomes larger. Hmm, what can he, what can she do for us? Let's go counsel them. I believe that if you will sow that into me, make me an equal partner. Do not be deceived because bad company ruins good morals. The counsel of worthless fellows will steal your joy and it will steal your reason for living. Here's a daddy that with everything in him, he is so happy. Father, if you will give me victory over the Ammonites, whatever, I don't know who he thought was going to greet him at the door. Maybe he had a dog he didn't like. But that's bad counsel. Whatever meets me at the door, I will offer up to you. Just give me the victory. And God never asked for it. Because God was going to give him the victory anyway, not for Jephthah's sake, but for the sake of his covenant. The Ammonites had no chance, whether it was Jephthah or Rick next door. They were going to be defeated. An entire generation was lost through the counsel of worthless fellows. What kind of worthless counsel do you keep? Who's whispering in your ear as though it is God? Who's wrapping around you? Who comes to you? Suddenly they see you working through something in your life. They see you trying to sort something out and they come into your life and they come in and they're saying, man, I can help this person. Poor person. Poor guy. Poor girl. I'm so full of counsel. I'm just going to go pour out counsel. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them know, listen, this is what I do for a living. I've given a lot of people counsel and it's really worked for them. Never mind the, you know, the 10 that it didn't, but you know, there's, most of the time it works. Who do you surround yourself with? What manner of person are they? Now this all may seem 
counter to the resurrection of Christ. But I can tell you it is exactly in line with the resurrection of Christ. Because Christ resurrected, and I'm just going to make it plain, to redeem us from stupidity. Well, I thought it was sin. See? Cole's been delivered. Thank you, Cole. It's true. Under the sound of my voice today, man, there's people sitting in this room right now. You are in a very difficult situation today because of bad counsel. Jethro, when he saw his daughter come out that door, he fell apart. He recognized in that very instant, what have I done? Why was I listening? I should have known those worthless fellows who followed me. They didn't have anywhere else to go. They were going to be killed in Israel. So they escaped to be with me, thinking that somehow I would deliver them. And what they've done is they have captured me. And their spirit of destruction. If the company you keep matters, simply put, keep good company. Isn't that true, Dakari? If the company that we keep matters, keep good company. Surround yourself with people who are of the truth. Well, what about people that aren't of the truth? What about the people that don't love God, that don't care about God? Hey, if you're going to be friends with them, don't take their counsel. Because if they're not of God, they're never. Listen to me. They will never give you counsel of God. Never. If their counsel is good, someone who has God present in them, their counsel will be so much better. People might have a problem with what I'm telling you right now, but I'm telling you, if you don't know God, you're not counseling me on any level. In fact, if, you're not, if you don't know God, you have nothing to say to me that's going to add anything to me. Now, that sounds ugly, but it's the truth. I'm telling you, people in this room, you have depended on people who don't know God to help get you out of something, and you find yourself deeper in it. Someone might say, well, all I know is ungodly people. Well, not anymore. You know me now. And I'm not a sinner. Apostle Paul set the record straight with all these Corinthians that were confused about what was going on in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 and 21. He said, in fact, he said, let me tell you all something. He said, you're so confused about whether he rose from the dead and so on and so forth because you've been listening to the wrong counsel. You've gotten bad counsel. You're listening to all these people because you've gotten so mixed up with all the different beliefs and faiths and everything else and you don't know what's wrong and what's right anymore. You make right, wrong, and wrong, right. You keep doing all of these things and you're so messed up. He said, but this is what I know. He said, the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. He said, I want you to know this. No matter what kind of counsel you've got, no matter how you got where you are right now, he said, I want you to know this. Corinthians, I want you to know this. Rock, I want you to know this. People who are watching today, wherever you might be, I don't care what denomination, what faith, wherever you might find yourself today, I want you to know this. Christ did this. He died so that he could resurrect you and your soul and your spirit and your mind and your body. He wants to change the way you think and He wants to change who you get your thoughts from. He wants to impart to you His very Word and His very nature. He wants to change you today. I thought this morning as I was 
working through this and I was seeing this visual because I love the story of the resurrection. I think it's just phenomenal. But I was thinking of this image. I had this image in my head as though it were a video playing. And I just wrote it down. It said, the stone was rolled away, and I could see it. The stone being rolled away, just envisioning, man, what a, an incredible... Okay, let me, get the, let me show you the picture I had. I was by a tree in my mind. I'm standing by a tree on the side of a path. It wasn't a road, it was just a path. And I'm looking over at this tomb, and I'm just envisioning what it must have been like for these three ladies, or four, depends on which book you read in the Bible, but I'm envisioning what they must have witnessed and what they must have seen. So here's this stone that gets rolled away. No man's hand touches it. And then inside this tomb, suddenly it's empty and there's an inquisitive part of them that they cannot deny and they have to go to that tomb and they have to peep their head in the door and they have to look in and they see glory in this room. They see that he is risen. They see that there's a toga laying on the bed. Unworn. It's empty. And they're moved by what they see. And I look at this thing and I think, man, you know, that is so incredible that I, I just, in my mind, if, if I were there, what would I do? Would I believe? Would I think he was stolen? What would I do? And I just thought about the simplest statement. I said, he died to remove the stone. He died to take that stone away. What was that stone away? See, as long as that stone was in front of that door, those ladies... Wouldn't know whether he rose or he didn't. There's people in this room, when you look and you think and you consider Christ, there's still a door or stone in front of that door. There's still a stone there. You don't know really whether he rose or whether he didn't. But I'm telling you, he rolled that stone away. He moved that thing simply to open a door. He died to move the stone. But he rose again to invite you in. He rose again to say, you know what? I'm here for you. And I have the counsel that you need. And the good counsel this morning isn't that you need 35 people to tell you what to do next. The counsel that you need this morning is that you receive me, your son, the son of God. Not me, but Christ. That you receive Christ, the son of God. And if you'll receive him, the counsel I give you today is He will begin to change the way you see things. The way you receive things. You'll suddenly begin to see what isn't of me and what is. And right here in this room this morning, there's people, you don't know what is of God and you don't know what isn't of God. You find no passion in your relationship with Him. It's simply you get up every day and it's easy to say, I'm a believer, but there's no life in the words. You tell people when you're at work, if somebody asks you, are you a believer or are you not a believer? Are you a Christian? Are you not a Christian? What do you think about the resurrection? Well, I think it's amazing. You know, Jesus Christ died and He rose again. But there's no power in the Word. There's no power in what you're speaking. If it's true that he died to roll away the stone and he rose to invite you in, I want you to know something today. No matter where you find yourself this morning, 
Whether you find yourself as someone who is inquisitive, who knows a little bit about Jesus Christ, but you've never really received Him, or you're somebody who loves Him with all your heart, soul, and mind, I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you find yourself today, that invitation stands open always. He's not asking for you to come in simply to have a cup of tea or coffee. He's not asking you to come in simply to say good morning. He wants you to be a part of who He is and He wants to be a part of who who you are because He wants to change the earth that His Daddy created. And He wants to be glorified in it. And you know how He's glorified? He's glorified in it through you and through me. We are the glory of God in the earth. We are the good counsel of God in the earth. You and me. So I don't know where you stand today, whether you're in this room or you're watching online this morning, but I want to say to you, no matter where you're at, whether you're here or you're there, as I said earlier in the day-to-day, it really doesn't matter how far away you are because there's no distance between the hand of God and where you are today. He's just as present there as He is right here and over there. What I know is this, this is a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I can tell you it's not a day we take lightly. And the giving of a son, the allowing of a death of a son, and then the breathing life again into a son is not done without a love for his creation. He did it because God so loved. He did it because God so Loves you and me. Would you stand with me this morning, please? So I'm going to ask this morning, and I want you to be honest, and there's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be intimidated by, but I'm going to tell you, first of all, if you believe that you're a sinner today, it's probably the easiest way to ask this question. If you believe that you are a sinner today, I want you to know that Jesus Christ wants to set you free. He wants to forgive you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to change you. If that is you this morning, I'm going to ask you simply to do this. I want to ask you if you will step out from wherever you are and if you will join me right here at the front. Don't wait on somebody else to be the first one to come, but if you will step out from where you are, would you please join me right here at the front? Be courageous enough today to allow God to change your life. And He will. He will. You might be waiting for me to ask people to bow their heads and close their eyes, but there's really no sense in that because I'm going to tell you, when you make a decision to receive Christ, it's the most important decision you've ever made in your entire life. When I made that decision in 1985, Shaviv, I never looked back. If someone would have told me, Steve, there might be a day where you won't serve Him, I wouldn't have believed it then and I don't believe it today. Because when He changed me, He changed me completely. And He didn't visit me. He came to dwell with me. Are you here this morning? Anyone? In this room? Steve Parker, I do not know. I have not received Jesus Christ. But I want to today. Let today perform in you the power that it was sent to perform. The glory that it was sent to perform. The anointing that it was sent with. If you're watching online, the same is true for you. You don't know God. You've never received Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are in your faith. I don't know how strong you are, how weak you might define yourself. What I do know is that no matter where you are, again, He wants to redeem you. 
I don't know by looking through that camera whether or not you're lifting your hand or whether or not you're asking and you're ready to receive this morning, but what I do believe is that under the sound of my voice, there are people today that need to receive Jesus Christ. So we lift our voice over those. Join with me this morning. Father, we lift our voice over whomever it may be that has never received you. The counsel that they've received has caused them to question you, wonder about you, doubt you, disbelieve. Father, I pray today that you lay hold of the heart of every man and every woman under the sound of my voice today. And if there is one among us that does not know you, I pray that your glory will manifest in their life. Convict today. Heal today. Redeem today. Set free today. Deliver today, Father. Be glorified in the life of every man and every woman so that all the earth will have to confront the glory of the Lord. May each of us, in every way, be a man of passion, a woman of passion, full of zeal, Set the captive free today, Father. Deliver the oppressed. And may the resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfill its purpose in the life of everyone today that will receive it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Hallelujah. Now you're going to go out of this place and you're going to sit down at a table somewhere. You're going to sit with family and friends and maybe enemies. I don't know. But you're going to sit with people. You're going to break the bread. You're going to commune with people. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Your counsel might be the good counsel that they need to hear. Counseling isn't so much about saying you need this. Sometimes our best counsel is living a righteous life, knowing exactly who God is in us. Amen?